It has been a rocky morning this morning because up until about 15 minutes ago, we weren't sure if I was going to make it. So if, if I seem rude because I'm going to preach the sermon, I'm going to walk out that door and get in my car and go home. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do, and I do not want you to experience what I experienced in the last couple hours of a little bit of a flu bug. So we're going to get through this sermon, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to stay very far away from everybody else. Right? It has been a, a bit of a rocky morning because when that happens, you have been running around, reading my manuscript, trying to make sense of it, trying to make this happen, and, and all these different things. But here's the thing that I was thinking about as lyrics for our first song weren't there, or microphones weren't getting turned on, and all those other things. Is, here is the reality. If you let it, if you let it, imperfections will work in you something very beautiful. The imperfections that you experience in church life will work two things in you that we all desperately need. They'll work in you endurance. You will learn that not everything has to be smooth and perfect. You will learn the truth that you are not a consumer here. You are here because God has called you out of darkness into light. And this is your family, and families are messy. And they're not perfect. You'll learn to endure. And you'll also learn about grace. You will learn that the biggest thing we need for one another is the grace that Christ shows us. So yes, it has not been a perfect service so far, and I don't think it's going to magically get perfect in the next little bit. But I can tell you this, we serve a perfect God who is working today. So let me pray. Father, you are so good to us. We love you. And as we take a look at the Eighth Commandment, I pray that you would teach us these lessons that we need to know. As I have been praying this morning, feeling really good right now, so I thank you, Lord, for that. Some trust in chariots and others trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Father, I can trust in my own ability or my ability to present or wanting things to be smooth. But those things are just chariots and horses, helpful tools, but not the Lord. The Lord who goes before us and wins battles. So I pray, God, as we look at this commandment, that we would be a people who do not trust in chariots and horses or smoothness or a pastor's ability to not be ill, but that we would be a people who trust in the word of God. As is your name, amen. Well, please turn with me as we continue our series through the Ten Commandments. We are inching ever closer on commandment number eight, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. According to fortune.com, the company Walmart estimates that it loses $3 billion a year to shoplifting. AARP claims that in 2021, 42 million people were victims of identity theft, and that led to $52 billion in losses. Throughout the United States, nearly 1 million cars were reported stolen. We ask the question, do the Ten Commandments still speak today? Do we still need these simple commands from God? Believe the answer is yes. You see, theft has existed since man has existed, and it continues to come through that we want to steal and make our own way instead of trusting God's way. God declares, you shall not steal, and yet we continue to steal. 
You see, these commands that were given at Sinai were meant to make these people, the people of God, distinct and different from the pagan communities around them. The people of God were to look different. While the people around them were thieves, they were to be people who were generous and kind and loving. And I believe that is still true today. We, as the people of God, should look distinct. We look different than the world because of what Christ has done in our lives, because we learn the lessons of the Ten Commandments and apply them and live them out. Today, I want us to learn just three lessons from the Eighth Command. So we'll walk through those together. Three things that I believe the Eighth Command teaches us. And the first thing is this. It teaches a lesson about human nature. You see, the reality is, from those statistics that I just read, theft is inevitable. I remember I learned this really quickly when I moved to the city of Columbus, and I had a cooler stolen off of my doorstep. I've had a lawnmower stolen out of my garage. And at one particular apartment complex that me and my wife lived in, we learned that if you ever, one time, left your door unlocked, your precious Aldi quarter would be gone. Those of you who shop at Aldi, you know you need the quarter to get the grocery cart. All our spare change, all our things would always be rifled through and taken with. Any time we made the simple mistake of not pressing that little button every single time, theft, it's inevitable. People are going to steal things. And I think that should make us ask the question, why? Why is this? Why are things like theft so common why does it seem like it's going to be inevitable? Why is it that never are crime statistics ever going to come out and they're going to say, in the city of Columbus, there are zero things stolen this year? That is never going to happen. See, theft is inevitable because sin is inevitable. We see these things happening at large and grand scale in our communities and in our world because we are sinful people, and sinful people sin. Romans 5, 12 through 14 tells us this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, meaning the punishment for that sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Or another way, I think, to render that would be more helpful, because all were counted sinners. So death spread to all because all were counted sinners. In verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Talking about these commandments. Sin was still present even before they knew what the law was. Then he says this, But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned. Talking about that punishment for sin from Adam to Moses. Even though over those who were sinning, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who is a type of the one who was to come. So basically what this passage is telling us is even though there was no law to break, God was counting them all as sinners because they were dying. After Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, all men and women were destined to die. Which means we are all sinners. We inherit Adam's guilt. If that doesn't drive it home, in verse 19 of the same chapter in the book of Romans, Paul says this, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. See, the Bible teaches us that all men are born sinful and guilty of Adam's sin. 
the popular belief, even among Christians, and when I am just talking uh, with, on the street with people or whatever it might be, is that actually all men are they're inherently good. People are inherently good, and that we're just later corrupted, corrupted by our parents, our peers, our environment, maybe other bad examples, and that's why we do bad things. That if really, if we could just educate people or provide for their needs, then when it comes to things like stealing, they wouldn't need to steal. If everything was just provided for us, if we were able to kind of push the buttons on human nature, then stealing would go away. But here's the reality. We know that Ivy League millionaires commit tax fraud, embezzle money, and use their power and prestige to price gouge little guys. We know that kids from good families will pocket a piece of candy from the store when they're told no, and we know that kids from hurting families will steal lunch money. Here's the point. Whether you're dirt poor or filthy rich, the temptation to steal remains. Why? It's because all men are sinful. If you still don't agree, leave your doors unlocked, and next week we can discuss the inherent goodness of your fellow man. See, we don't want to believe that truth. We don't want to say that we're inherently bad and that we need to be changed and redeemed. It seems just easier to say we're like, start off good and then God just has to fix the parts that we messed up. But that's not what's happening. Our claim is that isn't fair. It's not fair that I would inherit the sins of Adam. That can't be right. And I would say what's not fair is verses 18 through 21 in Romans 5. So therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So he's talking about Adam, his trespass led to all of our condemnation. But Jesus, his act of righteousness, his death on the cross for sin and glorious resurrection leads to the justification of life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, oh, this is good news, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, Grace might also reign through righteousness and leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died for sinners, not for the inherently good, not for people who are just messed up because they have bad examples or bad environments, but sinners in need of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It means there's nothing you do to deserve it. And the moment you look and say, no, 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 God saves me because of my inherent goodness, then he saves you not because of grace but because of something good about you. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and that is good, wonderful news for sinners like us. For grace to be truly grace and undeserving, it must be undeserving in every way. And we are, we are undeserving, but he is gracious in Christ. Because listen, you can have forgiveness of sin. That's the beauty and wonder of the gospel. You can be forgiven of your sin through his death and his blood. There is hope for the wretched sinners like me and you. But first, you gotta believe that you are in fact a sinner, separated from God, guilty even of Adam's sin. But oh, the glory that we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and justified because of his act of obedience. And here's what's amazing, and it leads us to our second lesson Yes, you can be forgiven for sin. Guess what? You don't have to stay there. 
You don't have to stay and remain committing the same sin. You can be free, and you can change and be different. See, this is what makes Christians distinct from the world. We are sinful just like the rest of the world, but because of Christ, we can grow to be someone that no longer steals, but instead gives and is generous. See, this requires us to understand the nature of repentance, of what repentance really looks like. And so our lesson in repentance, we want to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 10 in Luke 19, it'll be up on the screen. You can always feel free to follow along in your own copy of God's word as well. It says this, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled that he had gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I defraud anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The reality is, is Jesus walks into Jericho, and this sinner, this tax collector named Zacchaeus, desires to see him so much that he climbs up in a tree so he can look at this. Zacchaeus was a known extortioner. These tax collectors were collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government, which was an invading foreign government, and then they would even graze a little off the top. So whatever the tax might be, they'd charge you just a little bit more so he could defraud them and take a little more money. You see, he stole through his position. Proverbs eleven eighteen reminds us, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. See, Zacchaeus was the one that earned deceptive wages. He was wicked. But when he comes to Christ, he no longer starts to continue to sow to that flesh and to that sinfulness. Instead, he sows to what is righteous. Zacchaeus truly repents from sin. Repentance is the complete turning from sin to Christ. He just didn't stop extorting people and say, well, I just won't do that anymore but pledged to make it right and repay those he had wronged with some interest. That's an extreme change in a man. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does when we come to know him and salvation rests on us. We don't just stop sinning. We actually start doing what is good and righteous. We become people who want to make amends. He is radically changed. We read of another thief, a hypothetical one, in Ephesians 4, 28. And it tells us this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love this verse. I've talked about this verse before. I think it's so helpful because I think it, it just radically blows my expectations of what God wants to do in our lives. Like, I just think it's good if I can get the guy who's stealing to, like, stop doing that. Just quit taking other people's stuff. It's even better if I can convince him to go get a job. Woohoo! 
But listen, that's not Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you stop stealing. You go get a job for the sake of other people so that he might give. So he might give to those who are in need. That's a radical, different kind of person. He's no longer a thief, but he's somebody who embraces a joyful sacrifice for the sake of other people. He's a generous laborer. As we walked through the command, do not murder, we saw that we are to be peacemakers instead. Not just people who get angry, but people who seek peace. As we discussed the command to not commit adultery, we learned that we must be selfless servants instead. Not people who serve our own bodies, but people who serve others. Today, as we discussed the command of do not steal, we learn that we must be sacrificially generous instead. The transparent power, transforming power of Christ does more than just keep us from stealing. A thief is willing to hurt someone else for their own benefit. They're willing to take from somebody else so that they can get ahead. But the Christian, the Christian is willing to hurt themselves or to sacrifice for the benefit of another. It's radically different. It's true repentance. It's not just stopping to do the bad stuff, but it's joyfully doing the good stuff. The pursuit of holiness requires an embrace of joyful sacrifice for the sake of others. Let me say that again, because I think this is so important. It's so important in my life. If you want to be holy, if you want to be like God, you want to be like Jesus, the pursuit of holiness requires an embrace of joyful sacrifice for the sake of others. When Paul speaks to the elders of the church at Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says it like this, In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, me must help the weak and remember of the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe those words? Does our service to others display that we really believe it's better to give than receive? Repentance is turning away from sin and turning toward righteousness. This is a distinct mark of the Christian life. This is how we look different than the rest of the world. It's not that we're sinless. We certainly aren't. It's when we understand our sin, we turn away from it and we repent, we make amends, we do what is right, and we are people who seek to be generous. See, as we learn to do this, we display a radical love to others. But this love must be rooted in the love of God, which brings us to our final lesson it's a lesson about God. See, when we, it is true, and we look at the Ten Commandments, we can say that they're summed up really in the two commands. That Jesus gives two commands. He's asked um, in multiple Gospels, Teacher, what are, the, where, what are the most important commandments, or the heaviest, the weightiest commandments? And his response is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love people. And Jimmy talked about this a few weeks ago when he preached to us that we can look at the Ten Commandments and those first four really kind of hone in on loving God, right? Uh, no other gods before him. Don't bow down to false idols. Don't take his name in vain and separate a day and keep it holy. And the other six start to really kind of take a turn. Like, it involves other people and honoring them. Honor your parents. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie and bear false testimony and do not covet. 
And that is very true and so important. But what we don't want to miss, just like when we walked through that passage on what it looks like to love people, is that always must be tethered to a love for God. We cannot look at the other six commands and think that we're going to obey them if we remove ourselves from the character and nature of Christ and the work that he has done in our lives. The love of God is what propels us to the love of people. This is the things that we begin to learn about God. This means that the command, do not steal, is going to find its roots in the nature and character of God. We need to ask, what does this teach me about God? So if God forbids stealing, and I'm saying these six commands come out of the very nature and character of God, I want to ask the text that question. What does this teach me about the character of God? Why does God care if we steal stuff? It's just stuff anyway. But when we steal, we want to see that we sin against those we steal from, but we also sin against a holy God. And there are two things that we want to see. Because everything belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. So everything on this earth is his. And then James also reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Which is a confusing way to say it. Uh, but basically... What he's trying to say is God doesn't change. He's not fickle. God is not fickle in the way that he gives good gifts to us. He is consistent and he is unchanging in that way. So what the Bible is teaching, if we bring those two realities together, is that God owns everything and then God decides who gets what. God is the owner and God is the steward and he entrusts it to us, which means when I say, listen, God, the stuff you gave me isn't good enough, so I'm gonna go take the stuff from that guy. We're shaking our fists in the face of God saying, you're a bad steward, you messed this up. I'll get it right and I'll go take from them. What we need to see is that we don't know better than God, that he is a perfect steward and there are others who have more than we do we trust in the mercy and kindness of God. We don't steal. We also see that as the owner of all things and the bestower of those gifts, of every good gift, God does have some expectations of us. God has some expectations in regards to how we utilize the gifts that he has given us. If we go back to Luke 19, after the story of Zacchaeus, which is about this guy who is stealing money through dishonest gain, Jesus tells a parable right after, as these people are grumbling about his forgiveness to Zacchaeus. This is what he says to them. As they heard these things, verse 11, he proceeded to tell a parable because it was near Jerusalem. Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. 
Then another came and saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Jesus is talking to the crowd, or excuse me, sorry, we're still talking about the noble one. Uh, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Now Jesus says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So you have these groups of people in this parable talking about God stewarding these minas. Jesus is the nobleman who is going away to receive his kingdom. You have these people who are clearly not his servants. They send the delegation after him saying, we don't want this guy to rule over us. These people are the non-believer, the non-Christian, and they are committing the greatest kind of theft that we can, that they're stealing from the worship and glory of God that is only due to them, and they claim it for themselves that they know better and they reject Christ as their king. And they're punished in the parable by being slaughtered, which seems to be an allusion to hell. That those who do not know and love God will not be godly stewards, and therefore they will be punished. Then there are those who are faithful to their king, those who took what was given to him and multiply it by a thousand or five hundred percent. These are then entrusted not just with money, but with cities to rule over. Now, I don't think this is a, a very literal point, it's a parable. I don't think if you just start spending your money well here on earth, you're going to like own a bunch of cities uh, anytime soon. But, but I, but, and, or, and it's not trying to claim that the rich will just get richer and richer, and that's God's way. But rather, I believe what Jesus is trying to teach them is that if we're faithful in the little things, if we're faithful in the little things, God is promising to bless us with more opportunity to serve him. Before I became a pastor, I was a pastor in training, and before that, I was a seminary student, and before that, I led small groups. What I'm trying to just say is all along the way, the most healthy way that we can do these kind of things in our lives is be faithful in the small things, and God will open doors and open opportunity for us to continue on in the greater things. God is a great steward. He never gets it wrong. And so whether he gives you 10 minus or 5 or 1, we want to do what we can to be good stewards of that and see them be multiplied. Well, then that leaves us with the servant that squandered that opportunity. He's not a full-on rebel. You know, he didn't go and say, we don't want them to rule over us, but he's also not a good steward. He plays it really safe and just seeks to kind of save his own hide rather than multiply the gift given to him. And so that gift is taken away. Not to make a poor man poorer, but rather because God will not allow his good gifts to go unused. See, there is theft, the obvious kind of theft, in which we take what is not ours. But I believe there's another kind of theft as well when we look to the Bible. And that is when we do not use the gifts God has given us in the way he has intended us to do it. When we misuse a gift from the intention of the giver, we know that as That's wrong. It's like stealing. If your grandmother gave you money to go to college, but you bought a motorcycle instead, we would look and say, that's not right. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with a motorcycle. Motorcycles are cool. But it's the misuse of your grandma's gift. She had a different intention in mind. That would be very disrespectful. I think we would all look at that and say, it doesn't work like that. If money is allocated for something that you're supposed to use it for, that's the right thing to do. God has given you every gift and ability that you have, the unique makeup of your personality, your talents, your resources. And he has stewarded that to you, and he has told you that you are to use that to multiply the kingdom of God. God's plan for your life is to take part in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. And we all do that in some different ways. I love proclamation and talking to people. My wife loves hospitality. We make a pretty good team. She helps them come in, feel comfortable. I ask hard questions that she doesn't like to ask. But that's okay, and that's really good. So what I don't want to say is come out of this, everybody needs to do this the same way. That's not the parable. The parable is understanding that you've been entrusted with maybe 10 or 5 minus or 1, but God is calling you to not misappropriate those gifts, but to use them for the expansion of his kingdom in the way that he has uniquely wired you and made you to do that. So what the eighth commandment teaches us about God is that he is the perfect steward. That we always have everything we need to be faithful. And we can be unfaithful by attempting to take what isn't ours, or we can be unfaithful by refusing to use what has been given to us as the way that God would intend it to be used. So dear brother and dear sister, do not steal from God. Your life is his. While we couldn't see the lyrics to that first song, it's really good. You can go look it up. It's my life defined. All I have is Christ, as we sang later. We sing those things because they're true. Your talents, abilities, and resources are his. He owns everything in this world. The earth is his in the fullness thereof. If you do not use them for his glory, he will ensure that they get used for his glory even if that means taking them away and giving them to another. Zacchaeus is a wee little man in stature, for those of you who grew up in Sunday school and learned that song. He is small, and he climbs up that tree. But in truth, he's a great man through his repentance. He was a great sinner who realized his need for a great Savior he saw the king of glory enter into a city, sorry, he did everything he could just to get a glimpse of him. And when Jesus called him, he responded in faith and repented of sin and committed to make right with those whom he wronged. He was lost. But here's the good news. Jesus came to seek and save him. Glory be to God. He has come to seek and save you too. The physician does not come for those who are not sick. Sometimes these can be hard truths to be told that you are a sinner. But it's the only thing that makes you qualified for the salvation of God is to know that you are a sinner and that he has set his love on you and will rescue you from sin. We're all thieves. Whether we've stolen what is not ours or misappropriated God's good gifts, nobody here is innocent of the eighth command. But we can be like that thief in Ephesians 4.28. We can stop sealing We can stop making everything all about us as we strive to live a life that embraces joyful sacrifice for the sake of others. A life of joyful sacrifice. While it is hard, I want you to know it is wonderful. 
It is a good life. It is a life following in the footsteps of Jesus and a life that will make us stand out and be distinct from the world so that the world will look at us and ask, what is different? How can I be a part of that? Let's pray. Lord God, I love you and I thank you that you are kind and gracious to me and my family this morning, that we are able to serve you even when it is difficult. God, I pray that you would help us to grow in endurance and steadfastness and grow in compassion and grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us see that we are sinners, sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We all need you, Jesus. We need you to rescue us for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But in him we have redemption from our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, because he has shed his blood for us. God, I thank you for your salvation, and I thank you that it doesn't just end there, that we get to be different, that I get to be different, that my struggles don't have to be the same yesterday and today and forever, but God, I get to walk in Christ and I get to be more and more like you as you over time sanctify me and make me holy. So God, I pray that we would abhor what is evil and love what is right and good. You are a good and kind God. You ask this in your name, amen. If you're here this morning and you would like to talk to somebody, we have Ben and Steve and Jimmy can all be in the back as well as others. I will be heading out, but I love you. And I'm so glad that the Lord has made it possible for me to be with you today. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing with one another. strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin 
on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious death from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory sin's curse has lost his grip on me for i am his and he is mine born with the precious blood of This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ. I'll stand here in the power of Christ. We stand. Amen. Thank you guys for worshiping with us today. What an amazing, although rocky start to the service. <laughs> it was amazing. I don't know what happened to the lyrics. There's some crazy software. I don't know. It's the world of technology we live in. But glory be to God that we're gathered here together. We can sing and worship our Savior who has shown us so much grace and mercy uh, by dying on the cross for our sins. So let's continue singing uh, one more song together. And for some reason, this song always gets me real excited. So if I miss some chords, it's cool. Let's just belt this one out together. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him! Alleluia! Thou burning sun with golden beam, 
Thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 Let all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him! Hallelujah! Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, Praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All the redeemed washed by His blood, come and rejoice in His great love. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, Christ has defeated every sin, cast all your burdens now on Him, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knees? Creatures of our God and King, oh praise Him, oh praise Him, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, oh praise Him, oh praise Him, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. with us this morning. We have some announcements that are on the screen. So number one, <laughs> we, have our, we have our women's Bible study that happens Saturdays at 9 a.m. If you're not a part of that, we'd love to have you. Talk to Sarah, who is on the keyboard, if you'd like to be a part of that. That happens in the, McCall, the McCalls. They are not here this morning, but they'd love to have you. Um, community groups every week happen Sundays, 4 p.m., Thursdays, 6.30 p.m. If you want to Except, except today. That's not happening today. And it's at a different location that's, than what is normally on Thursdays. So talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to Kendall. If you Talk to Ben. If you want to visit, we'd love to have you um, because that is the lifeblood of Redemption Hill Church. 
our benediction. Before I read the benediction, I also want to announce that if you are new, we would love to have you fill out a Connect card. So if somebody approaches you with that, Josh would love to talk to you, just not when he's sick. So that's what we will do with that information. We will have him get in touch with you. Um, and now our benediction. So read with me, please. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Go in peace, church. You are dismissed. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art.